but it was nice to take a walk around the neighborhood this morning. This is a beautiful city, and we already feel refreshed to get out of D.C., even if it's just for a day or so. And already, thank you for your welcome and your hospitality. And also, I bring you, again, greetings from uh, your sister church, a Church of the Advent in Washington, D.C. Um, some of you might know, maybe some of you don't, that we are part of a network of churches uh, in D.C., Renew D.C., we have a very close relationship uh, with this church, Church of the Incarnation, and uh, Aubrey. So it's good to be here. It's good to be a part of the same family and worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ together with you. Let us pray before we look at the word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now. We pray that your spirit would be here. Pray that your spirit would work on our hearts. We pray that you, Lord, would have a fresh word for us this morning. Thank you for the richness of these words of Christ. Lord, and I pray that they would sink deeply within our hearts. And so now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So in the last uh, few years or so, the word sustainable, sustainability, become something of a buzzword. It seems like we're hearing more and more about sustainable solutions, sustainability. And it's a question we're coming to ask about many different areas of our life. We think, for example, just about our pace of life. When life gets particularly hectic, there's something to do every night. Uh, uh, the demands of work and family seem to always be increasing and unending. There's this feeling of being overwhelmed. When is this going to end? Is this ever going to stop? And it often causes us to step back and ask, can we, can I keep going at this pace? This just doesn't seem sustainable. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought that about your life, your work, your family? Have you ever thought about this? Is this sustainable? Can we just keep going like this? And of course, we've thought about this in the last few years um, economically, haven't we? Uh, both on a macro level, worldwide, uh, can we just keep spending and spending and spending and going further and further into debt? And then probably in your own household, um, can I keep spending uh, at this pace? Can I just keep consuming? Is this, is this sustainable? Can we just constantly be uh, a people who consume and never produce? This just doesn't seem like it can last. And sure enough, in the last few years, we've had a bit of a wake-up call, haven't we? And we've had to reevaluate um, both on the big things and in our personal lives and our families. Okay, are we living a sustainable life? Is this sustainable? Sustain literally means uh, to hold up. And when we ask questions of sustainability, we're asking in a particular matter, will this hold up given this pace and given the pressures that we're facing? Now, perhaps right now, you, rather than imagining the good life, you're just thinking about mere survival. Rather than imagining the good life, maybe that you once imagined, you're just thinking, how can I keep my head above water? How can I just have a sustainable life? Forget the good life. How can I just get by? I know this Easter season here at Incarnation, y'all have been looking at Easter faith. You've been in a series. In light of the resurrection, how do we understand our faith? And how do we understand our faith as it impacts different areas of our life? 
So this morning, I want to pick up uh, in this series, and I want us to consider this question, what does sustainable faith look like? What does sustainable faith look like? What happens to your faith when it is overwhelmed, when it is challenged? What happens to your faith when it seems irrelevant? Will it hold up? Will it hold up given the pace, uh, given the pressures that you face? What happens to your faith, for example, when a family member is struck with a life-threatening illness? What happens to your faith when a son or a daughter uh, moves out of the house, wonders from the church, wonders from your family? What happens to your faith when your loneliness seems absolutely overwhelming? What happens to it? What, is that? what does that pressure feel like? Do you wonder, is this sustainable? Can my faith be sustained? Will my faith make it through the other end of this particular circumstance that I'm facing? Um, for me, as a young pastor, uh, when I'm challenged with a particularly good question by a skeptic that I can't immediately answer, when I'm stumped, um, I ask, can, can my faith be sustained given these, uh, this uh, barrage of questions that uh, seem endless and where I don't always have a good answer? Can, can my faith hold up against these questions? Or maybe to turn things around, what if you're in a really good place right now? You're particularly successful, and that's a good thing. Good family, good job, good car, nice neighborhood. Um, everything seems to be clicking right along. Do you ever wonder, will your faith kind of become irrelevant because everything seems kind of okay? Whether it's an unexplainable tragedy, unbridled success, or unanswered doubts, we can come to the place where we ask, will my faith hold up? Is it, is it sustainable? Will it last? Maybe it's okay right now, but can it keep going? So what does sustainable Christian faith look like anyway. We read in our epistle lesson in 1 John something that I think is very interesting. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now often, rather than feeling like we participate in a faith that overcomes the world, we feel overwhelmed by the world. And our faith, rather than feeling anything like victorious, can feel simply defeated. But this is the sort of faith that John commends in his letter as a sustainable faith, as a faith that indeed can overcome no matter what sort of pressures you are facing, no matter what sort of anxieties you are experiencing, this is indeed a sustainable faith. So we saw that in John's epistle, in our epistle lesson. And then in the gospel, John records Jesus' words where he gives us actually a very hopeful, a very hopeful image of sustainable faith. And we see this in John chapter 15. And this is a faith that sustains us, even in the face of doubts, even in the face of rejection, even in the face of tragedies. This is a sustainable faith that Jesus is commending to us. So I want us to spend a little bit of time this morning looking at this image that Jesus gives us. Jesus says, I am the true vine. What is what does this mean? What is Jesus getting at here? Well, John's whole gospel uh, is really about one thing. 
It's about commending faith in Jesus Christ as credible. It's about commending faith in Jesus Christ as plausible. And so we see John in chapter 20, verse 31, he gives us his sort of purpose statement. He says, all right, I've written all of these things down. I've given you these stories of Jesus. I've given you uh, a record of the miracles that he's done, uh, the sermons that he's given. I've done this all for one purpose, that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing in him, that you may have life, an eternal life at that. So this is John's purpose. He wants to commend us. This faith, this isn't just a fairy tale. This is actually credible. This is very plausible here because of what Jesus did, because of what he said, and then ultimately, of course, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we look at the Gospel of John uh, with that purpose statement uh, in, in mind, and we see that all of these signs and stories, they point us to a life-giving uh, they, they point us to a, a life-giving, life-changing faith that comes from knowing Jesus Christ. And so here in John chapter 15, Jesus tells us a story about a vine, branches, and a gardener, and fruit. And Jesus identifies himself. He says, I am the true vine. And if you've read the Gospel of John before, if you're familiar with it, uh, you'll know that uh, there are these I am statements in the Gospel of John. So Jesus says, for example, I am the good shepherd, I am the door. And then here we have this last I am statement in John's gospel. Jesus' ministry is coming to a climax. He's given his, his last sermon. These are his parting words to us, to his disciples. And he says here in the end, I am the true vine. And his father, he says, is the gardener, and his followers are the branches. You probably heard the repetition of a few different words during our gospel lesson. Abide in me and I in you, as Jesus says right off the bat here in verses uh, 2 and 3. And then we hear it again and again. It's like there's a a rhythm in this. Uh, Abide, 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 abide. We hear Jesus saying this again and again. And the theme of all of this is this, just as a branch abides in the vine and receives life and bears fruit, so we are to abide in Jesus, receiving life, receiving sustenance, receiving nourishment, and in so um, receiving that we bear fruit for his glory. Now Jesus was using a familiar image, a familiar metaphor for his time of the vine and and the branches. And he is saying, I'm the vine who gives you life. Abide in me and be fruitful. And then he says this, apart from me, apart from the vine, you can do nothing. Now, it's interesting as we read this, it, it, it's both an encouragement, it's an, both an encouragement and a command for us to stick close to Jesus, regardless of what comes our way. I think it's important for us to think for a moment about the context of, uh, of these words that Jesus is giving. Uh, he's been preparing his disciples uh, for what's going to happen, not only to him in his crucifixion, but he's also preparing his disciples for what's going to happen to them in their rejection. So in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, Jesus keeps talking about how he is going away to the Father. I'm going someplace you can't come. I'm going to a place to prepare I'm going to prepare a place for you, but you can't come quite yet. 
And so in John chapter 14, we have this repetition of going, going, going. Um, he's going somewhere they can't go, but he promises uh, to send a helper. He promises to send the Holy Spirit. Uh, even as he goes away, he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be with you, even when I am gone from you. And with Jesus, there is never a bait and switch. Jesus doesn't kind of try to hook us in by promising us our best life now. Jesus is always up front with us about the challenges that we will experience in the life of faith. And so here in chapter 15, it's interesting, there are two things that kind of come to the surface. Later in the chapter, there's the theme of rejection. The disciples will be rejected. Uh, they will receive hostility from the world. So rejection and hostility. Uh, the disciples' faith, it will be tested almost immediately. But Jesus prepares them for this. He's giving them a heads up. So we have this theme later in chapter 15, matched by this theme and this call to abide in him in the beginning of the chapter. And then at the end of 16, it culminates with this warning and promise. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will face trials. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So do you see this here? Jesus is showing us a faith that takes into account even the most difficult of circumstances that we will undoubtedly face. So he is a true vine. An attachment to him is essential if we're going to receive life, even in the middle of trials. Uh, I have this early childhood memory <laughs> of uh, going to a department store when I was very young, uh, with, um, with my mom. And like all parents often do with children, um, my mom was constantly having to remind me, uh, parents, you probably know what's coming here, stay with me, okay? Just stay with me, don't run off, just stay with me. Now, as a curious kid, as kids are wont to do, uh, easily distracted and enticed by all sorts of exciting things around me, I got separated uh, from my mom, and it's interesting, this story is, is kind of uh, vague in my mind, but what I do remember is that moment of panic of not having my mom right there with me. Sure, I went off on my own, something, who knows what it was, I piqued my interest and curiosity, but there was this moment where I realized that I was separated uh, from the one who could give me security, from the one who literally gave me life. Of course, I wasn't thinking on this deep of a level, you know, at four, four years old, um, uh, but there was this moment of moment of panic, uh, and of course, um, I would, you know, my mom found me. I didn't find her, and uh, I, I, when these sorts of situations happen, I'm sure we all have a, a separation story. Whether you're, you know, a kid um, or you're a parent, well, we all know that the panic and the anxiety that this can bring, and you want to tell your kid, right? Stay with me. Stay with me at all times. Don't wander off. Stay with me. And Jesus, in John chapter 15, he's doing something similar. He's reminding us to stay with him. Stay close to me. Stay in the vine. Separation from a parent as a child can be a scary thing when we realize we're alone and vulnerable. But separation from the vine of Christ has serious consequences. And in fact, Jesus gives us the image of a branch being 
broken off if we fail to abide in him. And just like Jesus was commending a fate to his disciples um, that will uh, be able to endure hostility and tribulation, he's doing the same for us right now, especially when we think the sustainability of our faith is threatened. So what we could put all this another way. Jesus is saying a faith that abides is a faith that survives. A faith that abides is a faith that survives. But how? How do we stay with Jesus? What does this even mean? Is this just a cute little metaphor that Jesus gives us that we all like kind of nod our heads to? What, what does this really uh, mean? Now, uh, to be sure, there's something mystical here uh, that speaks to an intimate union with the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. There is some mysticism here. And maybe you've had seasons or even now experiencing this sort of abiding fellowship with Jesus. And this is a wonderful thing. This is a rich thing to have that sort of uh, existential affirmation of the abiding love of Christ. But we probably all know in this spiritual life, uh, the feelings ebb and flow, they come and go. And those spiritual experiences that are particularly powerful, uh, the the so-called mountaintop experiences, which are wonderful, these, these are great, but we all know that these feelings themselves are not sustainable. But how do we go on abiding in Jesus? How do we get the sustenance for a sustainable faith? Well, I think we have a hint. In verses 7 and 10, Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We stay close to Jesus in part by obeying his word, by hearing and obeying his word. We can hardly expect to experience this abiding fellowship in Christ if we're simply indifferent to his words or if we choose to ignore his words. But the Christian life, it's an invitation. Uh, the, the, The spiritual life in Christ is an invitation to let his words that we hear read together in a fellowship like this sink in our hearts and change us and transform us. His words are life giving. His words are life-sustaining. And as we obey them, we experience communion with Him. And we see this, as we see in the passage, we, we see this chiefly in the way that our love is expressed for one another in the fellowship of believers. You see, a loving community is an abiding community. But there's also something else. There's prayer. There's prayer in this abiding relationship. As we receive and obey Jesus' words to us, we in turn pray back to him. Jesus tells his disciples in this passage in a couple places, if you stay close to me, if you receive and obey my word, if you commune with me in prayer, your prayers become powerful, become effective, so that if you're abiding in the vine, if you're receiving that sustenance in life, then whatever you ask, Jesus says, my Father will do it. This is bold. This is powerful. But there's something else to consider here. Jesus assures him, uh, or assures us, that abiding in him, there is, in verse 11, fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Uh, a guy named Leslie Newbigin, who was a missionary in the last century, he wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John, and it's really fantastic. And he points out something in this passage that I think is very interesting. He says that 
the fruit of the vine. The fruit of the vine is what? Well, this is Virginia. This is wine culture, right? The fruit of the vine is wine. And in Scripture, wine, the fruit of the vine, it's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of gladness. Yeah, amen. Uh, it, 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 it's a symbol of celebration. You know, uh, think about how Jesus starts his ministry. What does he do? <laughs> he goes to a wedding, um, and then he, uh, he changes water into wine, symbolizing the sort of kingdom that he is bringing in. Then, of course, at the end of Scripture, uh, we have this symbol of a, uh, of a wedding feast. Uh, Psalm 104 says that wine, it gladdens the heart. It brings joy to the heart. The wine which Jesus shared with his disciples in the institution of the Lord's Supper is an anticipation of the heavenly banquet that he will share with his disciples. So this talk Jesus is giving to his disciples in John, it's in the context of the Last Supper. All the way back to John chapter 13, uh, Jesus, uh, think all the way back to Monday, Thursday, that's where this starts here. But after the resurrection, Jesus... Uh, he is known, as Luke tells us, in the breaking of the bread. And of course, earlier in John chapter 6, Jesus says these remarkable words, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Same language there. So we also abide in Jesus by receiving the sacrament of the body and blood of our Lord week after week after week after week. It's an ongoing, abiding fellowship with Jesus. So if we want to stay with Jesus, <laughs> um, just like parents, you, know, you tell your kids, stay with me, like my mom told me when I was lost in an apartment store. If we want to stay with Jesus, uh, we've got to know where he is. And we see here that he's with us in his word, he's with us in prayer, and he's with us in the sacrament. And I think this says something to the importance, uh, to the discipline, to the commitment of being together week after week in this fellowship of believers. Uh, because maybe, again, you don't feel like you have that feeling of abiding. But bit by bit, little bit by little bit, day after day, week after week, year after year, there is this abiding commitment when we hear his word, we receive it, we experience the love and community, we pray together, and we receive Jesus in his abiding fellowship, in the bread and the wine of Holy Eucharist. He promises to be present with us in these ways. It's a mystery. We can't explain it. But Jesus promises that this is how he abides with us. So this isn't all, though, that Jesus is getting at. He doesn't just want us to abide in him so that we can merely get by and weather life's storms. Uh, well, what's the whole point of abiding? What's the whole point of staying connected to this vine anyway? Well, just like we heard abide several times in the passage, we also heard another word, fruit. We heard that just as many times. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So here we see that we abide in Christ, not just so that we can survive, but so that we can bear fruit. Our questions of sustainability, they're often just questions about mere survival. But Jesus envisions you not just making it through difficult circumstances when your faith is challenged and pressed, but he envisions you thriving in those circumstances. 
as you abide in him. The Father, we are told, is looking for fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, Jesus says in verse 8. It's interesting, the first command in Scripture is a positive one. Be fruitful. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, this, this whole theme of fruitfulness is all through Scripture, and it's uh, multifaceted. Staying with Jesus means being connected to the one who gives us the power to be fruitful human beings. You know, we think about productivity, and often productivity is simply a way for us to advance ourselves. But being fruitful is different. Being fruitful is a way to advance God's kingdom. But in doing that, we receive joy, we receive life. And we don't make the fruit happen, of course. God does, the Father does, the Master Gardener. We are simply called to abide in the vine. So this fruitfulness that Jesus is talking about here, uh, what exactly is it? Well, we can think about what happens when we abide in Christ taking Christ's words and obeying his commands. There's the immediate fruit, as our passage points to, of a loving community, loving fellowship, fullness of joy. Even the fruit of mission, as Jesus talks about going out and bearing fruit in the world. Uh, this, this, this fruit uh, is described as much fruit. Um, uh, it, 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 too, is multifaceted. Uh, Jesus doesn't just point us to a faith that survives, but he shows us a faith that thrives. And there are challenges to this abiding faith. There, there are certainly challenges to this abiding faith. Uh, Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are thrown in the fire and burned. There's, Jesus is being clear. There, there are going to be challenges. Uh, there, there is a call to remain faithful. Uh, in that department store, I got distracted by something, whatever it was. And for a moment, did not think that I um, needed to stay with my mom. With my mom. It was a early childhood moment of autonomy. And Jesus makes it clear that the autonomous, do-it-yourself spirituality has serious consequences, part of which is its own futility. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You might have the appearance of being productive, but in the end, you will not be fruitful. And we desire to be autonomous and productive for our own sake. But Jesus calls us to abide and be fruitful for the Father's glory. Uh, we, we know that we can come to the end of our own resources and strength very quickly. But if we are abiding in Christ and staying with Jesus, then we are attached to the one whose resources are infinite and unending. So we can ask ourselves uh, the question uh, this morning, uh, what am I abiding in right now more than Jesus? What am I looking to that I think will give me life and make me fruitful. Uh, personally, one thing I've been thinking about in my own life in the last uh, few weeks especially is about how our wired technological world uh, seems to be taking up more and more space in my life, uh, uh, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the whole nine yards. Uh, it is just this encroaching force. Uh, and it's interesting, we think about technology. Uh, it makes all sorts of promises to us. Community, for example, in your Facebook friends. Fruitfulness for your whole life, even as it is organized on a small device that fits comfortably in your pocket. A technology, for all of its blessings, and I'm a fan of technology, don't hear me saying we should, you know, throw away our computers or whatever. Not, not saying that. Uh, technology certainly has blessings. But we need to realize that even technology... Um, 
It, it makes promises to us and it issues commands. Technology says abide in me and be fruitful. But it can be overwhelming when we feel the pressures and anxieties of being constantly connected to the unending flow of information and communication. It just doesn't seem sustainable. And rather than being life-giving, as it promises to be, it actually can seem life-zapping. It's like it sucks the life out of us, even as we bind to its promises again and again and again. Jesus says, stay with me, but so does your cell phone. And you know your cell phone talks to you in this way, because think about the last time you left your house and you forgot your cell phone. It was probably a similar reaction that I had in the department store when I realized I was separated from my mom. A moment of panic, a moment of just great anxiety. Um, why, why is it like this? Uh, why, why do we, uh, why do we um, uh, continue to, to buy into the promises? And even, uh, even just for a moment when we're away from this, we feel like we're actually removed from a source of something that gives us life, something that makes us fruitful. So we need to check ourselves uh, in, every, in, in, in every area. It's not just technology uh, that can beckon us away from Jesus. Uh, Jesus knows that there will be a constant demand for our attention and a constant demand for our allegiance. There will be, be many things that try to beckon us away, uh, calling us to abide in them, promising us fruit. Uh, so we need to think, what, what, is it? what is it that I'm abiding in right now that is distracting me from Jesus? Will you hear Jesus say to you this morning, stay with me? Will you hear him say that? Will you hear him speak those words to you afresh? Stay with me and your faith will be sustained. Stay with me and your faith will thrive. Beware of the distractions that cause you to wander away from me. And every time you're tempted to wander away, hear the call to abide. Hear the call to stay with Jesus. So this passage right here, it's commending to us a sustainable faith. Um, In marriage, you make vows for better or for worse, right? Um, And this relationship with Jesus is every bit as serious as a marital vow. Um, We're not called to enter into marriage unadvisedly, as our liturgy says, lightly. Um, It's not a tentative commitment. It's not, "Um, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, no, it's a for better or for worse type thing. In our relationship with Jesus here, he calls us to himself. He gives us a full heads up. There's going to be trials. There's going to be difficulties. But I am the bridegroom. I have proven myself to be trustworthy to you again and again through dying for your sins, through being uh, uh, raised from the dead, defeating life, defeating ultimately all those forces that are calling you away from me. I'm the one who overcomes the world. Will you trust me? Will you stay with me? We can see that faith in Christ is sustainable because he is trustworthy. He loves us to the end. And he is the one who was faithful to us to the end, even all the way to the point of death. Stay with him through your trials. Stay with him through your, even your doubts. Stay with him even through your successes. You can trust him. Jesus is giving us a picture of long-term lifetime faith. It's not a tentative faith that crumbles at the first problem. It's an abiding faith, an overcoming faith that endures to the end. This is a sustainable faith. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he talks about 
this sort of faith, borrowing from uh, uh, Nietzsche, the philosopher, he says, this is a long obedience in the same direction. And I think that's a marvelous way to put this sort of faith that Jesus is calling to. Bit by bit, little bit by little bit, faithful step by faithful step, day after day, week after week, year after year, this is a long obedience in the same direction. So, to conclude here, I want you to imagine yourself toward the end of your life. Uh, we don't like to do that, but just imagine, your, just for a moment. We'll just do this just for a moment. It'll, it won't be too painful. And even if you think you might be towards the end of your life, give yourself a few more years and let's push it forward a bit. Um, imagine yourself then, at the end of your life, you've experienced some really good times, you've experienced some bad times, you've experienced some tragedies, unexpected tragedies, you've experienced doubts, but imagine yourself at the end of your life, even in the midst of all of these things that you experience, imagine yourself with a rock-solid faith, still abiding in Jesus Christ, even on your deathbed. Imagine yourself at an old age with this active, mature, abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So you've imagined the end. What gets you from here to there? It's hearing and heeding the words of our trustworthy Savior again and again and again who calls us in love, saying, stay with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.